Welcome to the DMF. I am your host, Justin Yance, and this is episode 43. And this episode will be, I'll be talking about some things going on in my life, uh, books I'm reading. I'm going to talk about a film, Once Upon a Time in America, by Sergio Leone, The Mandalorian, and I'm going to end with, well, we're going to talk a little bit of politics. And then we'll end, as always, with a quote. So stay tuned. Well, the time has come for things to change. And one of the things I'm going to change is I'm going to be upgrading some of the equipment. And one of the things I've been looking at purchasing to add more uh, depth and uh, pristine quality to this show is I think I'm going to buy the new uh, Shuri MV7 microphone. I think that will add a great deal and I think I might start using uh, my recorder, an audio interface with um, perhaps an XLR mic, uh, XLR, XLR cable, but I'm not sure. Um, from what I've read, the Shuri MV7 is pretty much the top in the USB microphone category. But the good thing about the Shuri MV7 is it also contains XLR inputs. So you can use the USB mic, the, you can use it as a USB um, yeah, mic, or you can use it as an XLR mic. So. And Shuri is the Shuri MV7B uh, has been the, the the gold standard in podcasting. You can see it in Joe Rogan's show. It's been used by musicians to record. It's it's a standard. Uh, apparently, originally it started out as the microphone that they recorded Thriller with. So it's just a, a beautiful microphone. Now this is not the the MV7B. This is the MV7 that was released uh, this year. And I was looking at the Blue Yeti, but it seems like the Blue Yeti is a condenser mic. And for what I'm doing, I need a I need a, a dynamic mic because I don't want these things like the air conditioning picking up. I want it to be more more, um, more broadcast quality. And from what I've read, this is the best way to get that. Um, I hope you enjoyed the interview I did with Charles Del Rose. I think we're going to do some more. Um, mostly it's going to be a lot of wrestling, but we'll talk about films as well. Um, I haven't come up with a title for um, our, our segment, but that's something that I'm looking at doing is upgrading the, the quality here. And that's something I, I, I want to do. And I think this microphone will give me a step in that direction. I don't know if it's the, the, the complete um, step in that direction. I would like to start maybe recording um, my own intro to it so that it, um, so you, you know, maybe a theme song, something similar to that. But that's kind of where I'm going with this. So I'm excited. Um, 
I see new things are on the horizon and I just want to say thank you for listening and thank you for 43 episodes. Let's, as I said before, make it another 43. So that's what I'm looking at. I'm looking at upgrading the, the equipment and I think that's going to make it big because right now I'm using a lavalier mic. And it served me well for what I was doing. But now as I go delve deeper into this and do more interviews and use more Skype and more Zoom and things like that, I need to step it up. And I think the Shuri MV7 is the right step in that direction. Plus, I want to start doing the YouTube channel. So that's, that's where we're going. I want it to be pristine, broadcast quality, the best I can give you. And I can't really give you the best I can with this little lavalier mic. I'd have to go back and redo everything. And with a dynamic mic, it will take away a lot of this noise in this room, which I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear that, you know, the AC air conditioning on. And I've been looking for a mic to do that. And I was a, I was a few seconds from buying the Lou Yeti, and then I came across the, the Shuri MV7. I started reading about that. I was like, oh, this mic just came out now. And it's basically the gold standard right now. Some people think it's overpriced, but I think it's right for what I need it to be. And so that shall be happening soon. So get ready, because there will be a new step and quality with this podcast. With that, I turn it over to books I read. So, I found a new book. I've been talking about speed reading for quite some time here, and I finally found something that would actually push me to work harder in it and give me drills and make me work. A lot of the speed reading I see is like, do 20 minutes here, this, that. So I found this book called uh, Breakthrough Rapid Reading by Peter uh, Kump. And it's the best book I've read on uh, speed reading because it gives you drills. It forces you to keep, to, to go beyond your comfort level. You'll read for three minutes, then stop. Then you got to read three minutes again and try and pass that read three minutes again, pass that, then try and do that, that longest section in two minutes, try and do it in one minute. Also, it tests you on comprehension. So I see a lot of um, benefits with this, and uh, I'm very excited, and it, it forces you to... Um, so it got, I got a book that you know I haven't... I had, but I haven't really looked at reading, and the book is called... 101 Songwriting Wrongs and How to Write Them and How to Craft and Sell Your Songs by Pat and Pete LeBouff. Uh, LeBouff? LeBouff? I, I think it's LeBouff. And um, it's an interesting book. They've read with, they've worked with uh, Patti LaBelle, Bobby Womack, Snoop Dogg, uh, Michael Peterson, a lot of people, and it's a lot of interesting... Um, aspects of um, singing I did not know and, and writing music I did not know as opposed to writing from your head write more from your heart 
and demonstrating what the two what what the difference between the two so that's a book I'm really enjoying and I'm using that with the breakthrough rapid reading because breakthrough rapid reading isn't really necessarily a book but more of a workbook and forcing you to do drills and to get better the other book I'm looking at and I've been enjoying is uh, Pam Grout's uh, second uh, book in the E series. It's called E Cubed, and it's nine more in- energy experiments that prove manifesting magic and miracles through your full time is your full time gig. And it's just as wonderful as her last as her as her last book, and I really enjoy it. And it just it really puts a lot of things into perspective and. I'm thrilled I have it, and as I said, you know, these are great books, so I recommend them, and um, try out, um, try out uh, Breakthrough Rapid Reading, and when we come back, I will talk about Once Upon a Time in America. Okay. So the movie we're going to talk about today, it's only one film today, and it is um, Once Upon a Time in America by Sergio Leone. And um, the score is done by Ennio Morricone. Um, He's done a lot of great westerns. And the actors in it are Robert De Niro, James Woods, Elizabeth McGovern, Joe Pesci, Burt Young, Tuesday Weld, Treat Williams, and the cinematography, as it must be discussed here, is by Tonino Deli Colli. And you had Sergio Leone did a lot. He started with a lot of spaghetti westerns, and he did, you know, he did the um, the Dollars trilogy with Clint Eastwood, A Fistful of Dollars for a Few Dollars More, and The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. And now he, he also did Once Upon a Time in the West, Duck, You Sucker. I mean, this man is a legend, an Italian filmmaker. And he did one of the great films that is almost um, underappreciated and not uh, really understood because of um, unfortunate circumstances that... Um, made it so it couldn't be as good as it could have been. Um, the It's based on the Harry Gray's novel, uh, The Hoods, and it's basically about um, Jewish gangsters in New York City and their rise to crime and kind of their fall. And it's there's a lot of things about betrayal and, and aspects like that. I don't... I, I may get into, I think we'll get into spoilers, but here I'm just going to kind of talk a little bit about just um, some things. Um, it, it has um, the song Yesterday is in it, and it's a really interesting um, rendition of it. This The score by Ennio Morricone, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name completely correctly, is one of the great scores of all time. If you listen to the the um, the track labeled Debris Theme. It, if you've seen the film, it'll bring tears to your eyes. Now, this film came out in 1984. 
and originally the cut was like eight to ten hours and he wanted to release it as two different films but due to um, circumstances they, they wanted him to cut it so he cut it down to um, he cut it down to uh, let me see here got a lot of facts here so bear with me I mean, the, 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 the version that was seen at the 1984 Cannes Film Festival on May 23rd um, received a 20-minute a ovation that was just unheard of at the time. Um, I'm trying to find my notes on the thing. Um, I believe the original theatrical cut was like 229 minutes they uh, something unfortunate happened they changed they changed the film they they re-edited it when it came to america with a wide release they were afraid of um okay yeah here's what i'm, I'm looking for yeah, they were afraid to, because it was originally 269 minutes. It's four hours and 29 minutes. That's what premiered at Cannes. That's the film that people loved. Then he cut it down to 229 minutes. This was the version that was shown in like European cinemas. Because they were afraid that it was too long. Then, in the United States, they cut it to 139 minutes. And they put all the things because it's it's taken there's a lot of different sequences it bounces around with different time periods um at one point it goes 1968 at one point we go back way back before that and we're looking at all these different time periods and what they did which is almost a sin and completely different from what the europeans got was they gave them a non-chronological story to it well it did not pull it did not work people hated this film hated it and if they had left it alone it probably would have won the academy award for best picture and it probably would be up there with the godfather and godfather part 2 in those gangster films because this was a work of art that was destroyed and it's it's very upsetting to me to see that um, because it, it just, it, it reminds me of the Magnificent Ambersons. And if you've ever heard about the Magnificent Ambersons, this was, um, a film done by, um, Orson Welles and they cut it out and ruined it and made it horrible. And he said, if they just left that film alone, it probably would be better than Kane, Citizen Kane. But. That's what happened. Now, a good thing did happen. They found, they tried to restore it, and they restored it to, um, they, they restored it to like 251 minutes. Now, we didn't get the 269 minutes, which is what I want to see, which we still haven't gotten that yet. We, uh, they but we do have a 250 minute version there is they did say that there was a 200 uh the 269 minutes uh had been found 
but it doesn't seem like it, it doesn't seem like you know that hasn't really been it, it really only runs at 251 minutes so we're still we kind of get 250 minutes and that's the version I just watched before you know reviewing this and it's such an amazing film and I recommend you see this film immediately and uh, actually no it wasn't even nominated for an Academy Award that's unfortunate it was nominated for uh, the British Academy of Film Awards I don't know is it, would that be the BAFTAs is that the BAFTAs we're talking about here yes so the BAFTAs did nominate it America didn't because we got this horrible version of it but the score is just so beautiful to hear and it brings tears to your eyes when you hear it this is one of James Woods's best performances Robert De Niro is great in this Elizabeth McGovern's in this this was actually the debut film of um, Jennifer Conley as a little girl she's in this she's great Treat Williams Danny Aiello is in it William Forsyth, uh, so many great actors. Um, it really talks. The film is really about betrayal and you know what it what it's like in America. I mean, like it says, "Once upon a time in America." You know, it, it explores you know you know friendships from childhood. Talks about love, lust. Greed, betrayal, loss—you know, fractured relationships—and you get the rise of, you know, of the mob. And it's just, um, it's just a beautiful film to watch. I'd like to talk about spoilers, so I am telling you right now, I'm saying spoilers, and I'm going to wait. 15 seconds this time before I start talking because I do not want to ruin this film for you. So, here we go. You have been warned. Spoilers. Okay. Spoilers. You've been warned. And I will write a disclaimer in the thing, and I will. I've I've given you as much warning as I can. All right. So the film is interesting because um, the character of Noodles, uh, David Aronson, who is played by uh, Robert De Niro, and uh, a younger kid, because we see him as a child. Um, at first, we kind of. I really don't want to just like read through this whole thing, but you know, it takes place, you know, a lot of the stuff happens during the Prohibition era where, you know, alcohol was illegal. So that was the big thing. People, you know, one point, you know, there was cocaine in the 80s. Well, this was Prohibition. Alcohol was the big thing. And we had um, the ending scene to me is. Um, James Woods' character betrays um, Noodles. Noodles thinks he's dead. 
and kind of faked his death and he's become a politician and he's with his girl that he wanted to be with I mean pretty much took everything from him and left him with nothing but pain and he he gives him a gun he says you know he wants him to kill him because he's pretty much he's going somebody's going to kill him anyways because you know he's involved in some situations and he gives him a way out and Noodles says you know he kind of comes to the realization that the person that he knew is dead this isn't that person anymore and he kind of just he lets him go and then he goes, he walks out of the mansion and he sees, you know, we see um, a garbage truck, which is um, a little nod to um, Jimmy Hoffa. People believe that uh, Jimmy Hoffa, there was a garbage truck um, in, fr in front of his um, house. And so he goes outside and he looks at it and it's just off. And then we see a guy coming over as the garbage truck is moving. And it looks like it's James Woods' character, but we don't know. And James Woods has actually said in interviews that he didn't actually film that scene. They filmed somebody. So it's meant to be like kind of out of sequence. Uh, or, you know, or it, you know it, it's meant to mess with you in that way. Because it's not actually James Woods, but you can't tell because it's like this silhouette of a person. And the, the truck comes by and he passes his view and he gets onto the garbage truck and then we see him disappear and we just see the grinders of the garbage truck as it fades in the Mac. Now some people think, did, the, um, did he just jump into a garbage truck? He was human garbage so he jumped in there. You know. Did he he plays with it. the way he films it is so unique and then after the garbage truck goes we see two headlights coming on and it's kids like partying and God bless America is going and it's almost like saying like Noodles' time is over and we are in a new era as the glass breaks and it just when I first saw it I, I was taken back by it it was, it was just so I was like, what is that? I, I, I didn't even know what to make of it. It was so unique. I mean, but we don't know where, where Max, uh, who is, that's the name of uh, James Woods' character in it. And then we return back to the opening scene in 1933, and we have Noodles, um, he's in the opium den, and he's, you know, taking his drug, and then he, starts to grin and we cut to credits now some people say is he looking back on things is this all in his head is he seeing this before is is he hiding there's a lot of different interpretations of this um charles de la rose my, my friend is a huge fan of this he actually is probably the person that actually turned me on to this film because i I didn't realize how much because I always knew of the the bad version, but 
when you look at this, you're like, yes, this really is an amazing film. So I credit him with with um, bringing that uh, to me. Um, but it's just one of the most beautiful films you'll ever see. And I hope one day we will get the 269-minute cut. <laughs> Um, I know that we've, they have, um, they found another scene and it's kind of like the color timing's all off. But this is a film that should have won an Academy Award. I, I don't care what anybody says. This is, um, it really is. It's so good. Such a unique film. Filmed in such a, you know, the blood he uses, that bright blood. I could go on and on about this, but right now I've, I've already talked for 15 minutes and I am going to go in depth with this. I think Charles and I are going to sit down and really delve into this film, but I need to do research on that and really do that. I wanted to touch on it because I did that, that was the film I watched this week and I want to talk about it. And um, I think now, in retrospect, people look back on it and realize what an amazing film it is. Um, and it's interesting. Um, I'm just reading this. Uh, in the DVD commentary, uh, the film historian and critic Richard uh, Schickel uh, states that opium users often report vivid dreams and that these visions have a tendency to explore the user's past and future. Um, in 2015, the film was ranked at number nine on Time Out's list of the 50 best, best gangster films of all time. I think it should be number three or number two. Uh, and Godfather, Godfather Part Two, and then there's this. And maybe you could even put that above those because this has a grittiness that those films don't have. And this could only come from an Italian filmmaker like this and a master at that. So... With that, I leave, I leave you on another thing. came out in 1984. Very interesting time for films. And almost a changing of the guard right there. So if you have a chance to watch Once Upon a Time in America, I recommend you do it. And you watch the 250-minute cut that we have. The extended cut. I think it's the cut that's on... The theatrical cut, the European theatrical cut's fine. Do not watch the 139-minute version that is um, that America released originally. It's horrible. It takes out all, it makes everything in chronological order. So you're just starting from there, and it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't hit. And they did this, which is absolute sacrilege, as far as I'm concerned. They have... Um, here are some major cuts that happened. Um, there's a lot of cuts in the childhood sequences. Um, so they make the... Uh, so the 1933 stuff is more prominent. Uh, Noodles' 1968 meeting with Deborah was excised. This is the infamous uh, rape scene, which adds a lot of depth to his character, as to who he is. 
my friend argues that this isn't um, as accessible as Godfather, and that might be part of it too. But I, I think people can handle this. And the uh, scene with uh, Bailey, with Bailey, is Max, um, ends with him shooting himself with a gun, the sound of a gunshot off screen, rather than the garbage truck conclusion of the 229 minute, which is just sacrilege. You don't do that. You don't change the ending. Um, they're trying to find that they're trying to get the 269 so they were going to show it at Cannes but the restored film was pulled from circulation finding that they I guess they need more work on it so with that I will uh, we'll talk about the Mandalorian and a uh, little politics so thank you Mandalorian, Episode 7, Season 2, Chapter 15. We're going to get into spoilers here in a minute, but here I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the things that... Uh, so Rick Famuyiwa, he's done some interesting films, though. He did a, one of my favorite films, um, uh, Talk to Me, with Chutil EG4 and uh, Don Cheadle playing uh, Peter Green, Petey Green, Peter Green, the, um, the disc jockey in Washington, D.C. at the time, and it's all about his run through, through there, so it's an interesting uh, little, it's an interesting film, and so I, so I enjoy his, um, I enjoy his, uh, his work, let's, let me, just before I go to spoilers, let me just uh, make sure that I. He's also done a few. He did Brown Sugar. Um, oh, he did the film Dope. That's a great film. That is with. Um, yeah. Zoe Kravitz is in there. Interesting. I didn't know he did Dope. Hmm. That's cool to know. So, yeah, he's done a lot of great stuff. Um, he did the film Our Family Wedding, which isn't a particularly great film, but it's okay. Kind of the last of um, Carlos Mencia. Uh, the Lost. Did a film. Oh, that's a short film. And then he did the film. His first film was The Wood. So, really well-skilled director and... Um, actually from uh, Hawaii so interesting stuff here um, yeah I like his work let's get to the Mandalorian there's no way else to talk about this without talking about spoilers so spoilers it's just gonna be five seconds here because I give you 15 for once upon a time and here we go so uh, Cara Dune is back. Um, that's that's good to know. Um, so the uh, Mandalorian is searching for. Um, they're searching for a way to you know, to get Grogu back, little baby Yoda, and uh, the title of this episode is the Believer. The Believer. 
Yeah, and um, yeah, Baby Yoda is not in this episode at all. So this is the first time we have no uh, Baby Yoda or Grogu. They talk about it. And so they kind of are on a mission to do something. So Cara Dune uh, bills, uh, bails out uh, Migs Mayfield, the ex-Imperial star- sharpshooter from um, when they were in the, uh, the New Republic uh, prison cell. And that was um, chapter six. So they, uh, so he's being released uh, to help them because he can get into the Imperial ships, and he's trying to get. They're trying to get. They're trying to get Grogu back, and he tells them about a little mining uh, area on um, a little planet, and they're in Slave One. Remember um, the. the, uh, the um, Razorcrest has been destroyed. So now they are kind of they're they're regrouping, trying to figure out what they're going to do, how they're going to get across, get to Moff Gideon. And so they kind of go in. They got to sneak into this, um, yeah, this um, field of. So they they visit. Um, I'm trying to get the exact name right of the planet. So many planets here. Um, but I can't find it. They're not ready to. Okay, Morak. So they have to go to Morak, and they hijack uh, an Imperial uh, juggernaut, and they impersonate the pilots, and we get some banter between uh, the Mandalorian and uh, Migs, who's played by Bill Burr, and always funny. And they, you know, they have to sneak in. And at one point, uh, when they're in there, they have to take their helmet off. And Migs kind of, you know, you know, respects the Mandalorian. We kind of find out that, you know, that Migs has a lot less to feel for the Empire. And he kind of, he's somebody who wants to do well, but kind of was forced by circumstance to be kind of a criminal. And here we are kind of, you know, seeing him change his ways. And there's a point where the uh, the Imperial, the officer, Mix can't go in there because if he goes in there, they he'll be recognized. So the Mandalorian has to take his mask off and he's about to get questioned and Migs actually saves him. And they end up they end up shooting the uh, the the, uh, the general the commanding officer. And Mig says something like, I didn't see a thing, handing him his helmet. And we kind of see, and they blow up the uh, the base and everything, and they've, they've got the codes. So he can go find Moff Gideon. And we find out that, you know, he doesn't really like what the Empire has done to people. Especially, you know, children. He doesn't really have a lot of love uh, for the Empire. So he takes, oh, um, it's quite interesting, though, the, the dynamic between the two. And at the end, you know, he's ready to go back to jail, and Cara Dune says, I, I think you uh, died over there. And they let him go. And this was, um, this was good. I like this. <laughs> this season, too, has been just awesome stuff. 
no complaints everything's built to it and the very ending of it is Mandalorian contacting Moff Gideon saying he's coming to get he is coming to get Grogu and we never see Grogu but we see Moff Gideon kind of a little bit of uh, concern because he's gotten this far he got a code to be able to come on to, to, to you know communicate with uh, Moff Gideon so he's coming so now we're on the race to that um, are we going to have a Jedi come in is something like that going to happen I don't know I think this is but <laughs> this show just keeps getting better and better like I said this is this is Jean Favreau's um, um, magnum opus just terrific stuff and I have no complaints. And I'm with, you know, Boba Fett back and all these things, hopefully he gets his full armor back and doesn't have to wear this, like, black cloth thing that he's got. So that's about it. I really enjoy this episode, and I'm hoping to talk more in-depth about The Mandalorian, but uh, I haven't had a chance to do that. I mean, i got a lot of things I'm going to do in-depth. i got a lot of interviews I want to do, so... Just stay tuned with that. Now let's move on to politics. The election is over. It has been certified. The Electoral College, as we have ratified it, Joe Biden is the President of the United States. There's nothing else there. I know some people want to say that this is rigged, but I'm, I'm going to be, I'm just going to say this, and I've said this before, if it was rigged, why would you rig it so that you would lose? Because the Democrats lost seats in the House, and they lost seats, and they lost a lot of Senate seats they were supposed to get, and Mitch McConnell retained his seat. So if you're going to rig it, why wouldn't you rig it to take those seats? Now, if everything went to the Democrats, I'd say he had a point. There's this case to be made. Every court case has been thrown out. Bill Barr has said there's nothing there. The Supreme Court. These are all people that were elected. Who, most of these people were, a lot of these people were put in positions of power by Trump himself. And they can't see anything there. There's nothing there. I, I know it's hard for some people to accept, but there is nothing, there's nothing there. It's, it's over. Now, this doesn't have to be the end of Trump. If Trump wants to regroup and come back in the next four years, he is welcome to do that. If he wants to get his sons to do that, he's welcome to do that. It's, it's up to him, but he needs to accept that he lost, and people need to accept that. Hillary Clinton lost in 2016, and Donald Trump has lost in 2020. There's no if, ands, or buts. If there was even a shred of evidence there, one of these courts would have held it, would have upheld it. Not one court has upheld it. The only people that have, are with him is Ted Cruz and some other, and um, what is his name? Kennedy there is it Joe Kennedy I forget you know a lot of people like that don't there's nothing there I'm sorry 
and if it was rigged, then they did a very bad job of rigging it. Because if you're going to rig something, you might as well rig it to win everything. So that's my thing on here. I try to be fair to both sides, but I, there's no case to be made here. Could there be some ballots that might have been tampered with? Yes, maybe there are, but not enough to swing an election. And they did recounts in Georgia and, the, and in some of these states. And Biden won by a higher margin. You cannot just sit here and say that, that all the voting is illegitimate. Because it's not. There's nothing illegitimate about this. This is how we do it. I mean, no one told Donald Trump to tell his supporters to not vote by mail. You knew, we knew from, uh, from evidence and from just looking at the facts that the, the in-person votes were going to be counted first and then the absentee ballots would be counted next. And the absentee ballots were going to favor Democrats and the in-person voting was going to favor Republicans because we're in the middle of a pandemic. So it's very unfortunate here that we, we can't... We're a democracy. We have to accept when we lose and we have to accept when we win. And if we can't accept between the two and we keep muddying the rivers, no one wins. It's time to get to work. It's time to get... It's over. And I think if Donald Trump wants to be the bigger man, he needs to, he needs to, you know, relinquish his sword. Concede. But I don't think he's going to do that. But that's the way I see it. If there's anything there, I, I don't know what, what else there's there. I don't believe it's rigged. If it's rigged, you would rig it to, to win everything. Why would you rig it to lose? Doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, tampered ballots, maybe, but not enough to swing an election. Russia, you know, it, this is like Russiagate. There was nothing there, and there's nothing with this other stuff. It's over. Donald Trump got to be president for four years. Now Biden will be president for four years, unless something happens to him, and he is not able to fulfill his duties. So we need to move on. The election is over. Donald Trump has lost, and Joe Biden is the president. Donald Trump is free to come back and, and try again anytime he wants. It's, it's his right. And by all means of the polls, he has a very good chance of getting the nomination, and there you go. Get your revenge. <laughs> So with that, I'm going to move on. Uh, so AOC is kind of being called out by Jimmy Dore. Uh, Jimmy Dore is a um, podcaster and um, talk show host, and I think he has some comedian uh, uh, background. And he is calling out a lot of the so-called progressive Democrats for not actually, um, not actually being true progressives not forcing their hands. They're saying, he's saying that they should withhold their vote of Nancy Pelosi being Speaker of the House unless Medicare for All gets a vote on the floor. And, you know, AOC and them are pushing back, but a lot of progressives kind of feel like if we have this vote, even if it loses, it's, it's a win because we see who stands for what and who 
Who stands for what? Are you for or against it? That's what we'll find out. And we're only going to find that out through through voting, through through the votes. We'll know who in the house who in the house actually supports it. So I think it's a good idea. Um, so let's see if that happens. Um, I I feel the progressives need to start looking at what the Tea Party did to to make things happen. You have to become a threat before they can take you seriously. Put pressure on them to take you seriously. They can't ignore you forever. And instead, they just continue to fight amongst themselves. And it's like, you're not going to get anywhere with that. The left must be united. Same thing. It's just the way it has to go. Um, so that's something. Um, Nina Turner is possibly going to... She was one of um, Bernie Hand's right... Bernie... <laughs> Bernie Sanders' right-hand women. <laughs> uh, and she is going to be running for the seat in, um, in Ohio. And it's a fractured field, and she probably has a good chance of maybe getting that um, when she's already gotten some endorsements. And she's somebody that will ask questions and will not just fall in line and is willing to take the heat and not be liked. And I think the progressives need that. They need somebody that doesn't want to be liked because Bernie kind of wants to be liked and, you know, be on everybody's side. But it's like, they're not going to like you. Now, it looks like we're probably going to get stimulus checks. So at least the Democrats and the Republicans were able to come together on that. Is it enough? No, but it's a start and it's something. And we have a lot. We have to thank for that. Um, Bernie Sanders for pushing for that and Josh Holloway. Um, Republican for pushing that. So like I said, we need to come together. There's things that we can agree on and there's things we're going to disagree on. But let's find the common ground. That's what I've been saying and I will continue to say that. There's a lot more that unites us than divides us. And I'm not trying to just quote uh, Michael Moore here. I truly believe that. If you really think about it, we... We want the same things, we just want it in different ways. A, a, a majority of us. Some don't. Some we'll never agree with. But we can try. And with that, I leave you with a quote. The pessimist sees difficulty in every opportunity. Once again, I will repeat that. The pessimist sees difficulty and every opportunity and what that means is if you see the mountain and they just like oh we're never gonna get up we can't get up there we can't get up there how do you know until you try because if you try you might just get up there it's like this podcast if I sat there and said oh I'm never I'm never gonna get there I'm never gonna be good I'm like, I, I can't do this. I can't talk by myself. Nothing would have happened. But I took the step to do it. And I'm better than I was the day I started. And that's all that matters. So the pessimist does see difficulty in every opportunity. And that forces them to not begin at all. But I'm saying, be the op optimist and see opportunity 
and every situation. Flip that on its head. Instead of instead of looking at Murphy's law or Saad's law of um, anything that can go wrong will go wrong, let's flip that on its head. Anything that can go right will go right. Anything that can go right will go right. And it's all about perception. It's perception. And it's all up to you. It is in the eye of the beholder. So with that, okay, I don't normally do this, but I just finished watching The Mandalorian, the last episode, and before I put this out, this episode out, I wanted to tack this on because it just came out, and I'm giving you my exact thoughts of how I feel right now after watching it. So, spoilers, well, before I get into that, this is probably one of the best episodes of The Mandalorian, and to me, this show has almost, has pretty much started to reach the Game of Thrones levels of giving you what you want as a fan, and what you want to see in a show. So, if you aren't watching The Mandalorian, I recommend you watch it right now because it is the best show. I think it's the best show of the year. I haven't seen The Boys yet, so I can't, but if you are a Star Wars fan, this is what you have wanted for years. A lot of people were disappointed with the last trilogy. This is almost like redemption for that, or vindication in some ways. This, this is it. And this episode sums up everything you want for a lot of us as, as, as Mandalorian fans. I, I don't have any notes right now. I've just come right out of watching it. So I'm going to give you my exact thoughts of how I feel about it right now. Because it's, I, it just ended. And it is exactly Thursday, 4.44 a.m. <laughs> But I have to do this now. So here are spoilers. You have been warned. Okay. Spoilers. We're talking about chapter 16. The last episode, this would be episode 8, I believe it's titled The Rescue, I just finished watching it. This was amazing. <laughs> this was amazing. This was a show where I got up and I clapped and I was so excited. The ending was perfect. Um, it was, it's all about them going to save Grogu, which I thought it was going to be. And I said this in the spoil. I said this in my two episodes before. I thought it was going to be Luke Skywalker. I was right. It was Luke Skywalker. Luke Skywalker save is the one that came for Grogu. I was right, and we got to see R two D two. So I just want to get that out of the way. Um, the pacing, everything about this episode was just spot on. The acting. 
everything. Katie Sackhoff came back. Um, Cara Dune, who was played by Gina Carano. We had Boba Fett. We had everybody you could think of was in this episode <laughs> that you really wanted to see. Um, Sasha Banks' character was back. Um, Moff Gideon's in it. And then we got Luke Skywalker, Mark Hamill. Now they've like de-aged him and done this like kind of like, but it was so cool. It was so cool. So the episode starts off, uh, well, let me talk about, see, I'm like all scatterbrained right now because I just finished watching it. And I'm so excited because this was the best show. This, this is the best episode I've seen in a very long time. It's almost it's almost starting to feel like Breaking Bad, where you're just like, wow, they're not blowing this. They keep doing better things. Um, Peyton Reed is the one who directed this. He is, um, John Favreau wrote this episode. Um, Peyton Reed has done Ant-Man and Ant-Man 2, and I believe he's doing Ant-Man 3 as well. And this is just great stuff. Um, when they had the dark troopers in there, they had kind of like nods to like the Terminator and the way it moved and everything. It was a great little face-off. So the episode is basically them, they capture, the very beginning, they capture Shuttle Tidarian and they're with uh, a standoff with this um, Imperial officer and this other Imperial officer and this science officer. And uh, Cara Dune comes in there and the other girl that's with um, Boba Fett, I still don't know her name, and he shoots the other officer and he starts bringing up Alderaan and then Cara Dune, you know, kills him. And they're, they're going to board this ship and use it to go. So they go back there to um, the planet with um, Katie Sackhoff's character, Bogotan, I think is, is her name. And they recruit her, and she says the only way she would do it is if she gets the dark saber. And he says, "You can have whatever you want." He just wants the kid, the Mandalorian. So they get, they go off. Um, they kind of stage a little thing where they're going to, um, where Slave One is like attacking them, but it's all a diversion. The um, to get onto the the ship, the the, the big ship that that uh, Moff Gideon's on. Um, we see the, uh, sorry about that, I, I thought that might make a noise, but I'm not sure. Um, we see the um, the TIE fighters, we see them all shooting out, and see the interior of the ship, it's so cool. Uh, they get on the ship, they shoot everybody, and then uh, the Mandalorian is sneaking in, trying to find him, uh, but they're loading up the dark troopers, and he comes across the dark troopers just as they're about to like come out, and he um, uh, he shuts the door. One of them comes out, and he's fighting this one. And his weapons do nothing. He tries burning him. He tries doing that. And this machine just starts punching him in the face. Uh, then he eventually uses the spear, and that kills him. And then he jet jettisons all the dark troopers. Now, the um, all the others have uh, taken back the... Um, taking the bridge and Moff Gideon is waiting with the dark saber with um, baby Yoda Grogu and he recognizes him immediately and uh, so he says you can go you can take the kid 
but then he attacks him he fights him so he's so the mandalorian and moff gideon fight um the mandalorian is able to defeat him and then he brings him onto the bridge with the kid but um moff gideon reveals that the save the dark saber now belongs to the mandalorian and he can't just hand it over and in order for katie sack off uh you know Pond's character to have the she has to defeat him in battle and he's just like just take it and he won't take it you know and then we find uh, the dark troopers are all coming back and there's like 40 of them and then we see the greatest thing ever a TIE fighter I mean excuse me an X-wing boards and at this moment I was like it must be Luke Skywalker and then we see him, we see uh, a cloaked figure and a green lightsaber, and he just starts tr- cutting up all the dark troopers, like just destroying them, like Rogue One, uh, Darth Vader. It was so cool. At one point, he uses the Force to destroy the, you know, to destroy the thing. And as this is going on, Grogu is putting his hand on the screen because he knows who that is, and he knows who that is. So after this huge battle. Uh, the Mandalorian is like, open the doors and like, what are you crazy? We're not opening the doors. So he opens them anyway. And it's a the figure comes out, takes his hood off. And it is Luke Skywalker, Mark Hamill, um, in some de-aging and everything. And then we see, and he says that the child must come with him so that he can be trained. And we have this emotional moment with Grogu and the Mandalorian as the Mandalorian takes his helmet off in front of everyone because this is how much Grogu means to him as he gives the child to Luke Skywalker to train and we see R2-D2 come out and it's they use a new music that they've never used before so Ludwig Horenson who did this score he used tones that he's never used, and it's such a sympathetic scene. And if you're not crying, I don't know. I don't know what kind of Star Wars fan you are because this just. I mean, I was so excited, but I was crying too. I'm crying now, and it's just so beautiful. And then the last shot is him with his helmet off. As Grogu is going off with Luke Skywalker and they shut the doors and we see Peyton Reed directed this and he deserves so much credit for doing this episode. This is just, it's perfect. It's best, one of the best things ever. I I don't know, some people might like certain episodes ever. To me, this was the best episode ever. (laughs) This was the best episode ever. And then we get a... Then we get a, uh, an ending, you know, uh, a tease. And we see, we're back at Jabba's palace. And then we see these blasters going off. And we see Boba Fett's girl is taking them all out. And then Boba Fett comes down with, with his blaster. And Bib Fortuna is there sitting in, like, Jabba's chair. And he shoots him and then throws him off the throne and sits down and we get Boba, the book of Boba Fett December 2021 
I can't put this into words. This this is this is like how you feel with like the red wedding. This is such a great episode. I'm so glad I stayed up to watch it. If if you're a Star Wars fan, this is what you want to see. So we've got Obi-Wan Kenobi, which is going to have Darth Vader, Hayden Christensen in it. We have an Ashuk, I can never pronounce her name right, her show. Now we've got Boba Fett show and Mandalorian. And we just got to see Luke Skywalker just destroy some people with the green lightsaber and take Grogu to train him. And the Mandalorian is so, he knows this is the right thing. And he says, I will see you again, I promise. It was so good. Um, they, they knock out um, Moff Gideon. I don't think he's dead. But, you know, they, they've captured him. So he's going to be kind of like, probably like Lex, like uh, Lionel Luther in um, Smallville. But this is just... Ooh, if you are a Star Wars fan, watch this. Watch this show. This has reclaimed the throne. This is the best thing they have done since, I think, since the video games and the books came out. You could even go back to, you know, the first trilogy. Some people like the second trilogy. Almost no one likes the third trilogy. <laughs> I like The Last Jedi. Everything else is just passable, but I see the damage The Last Jedi has done. This is everything they want. They have made Star Wars the MCU again. They have made this a fandom that people are proud of. This is the game. This is Game of Thrones level of excitement. This is great. I cannot wait for season three. So good. Watch this. Best thing ever they've done in Star Wars, and I am just so floored. I don't have any complaints. All I've got to say is just watch the episode. So good. And with that, I will bid you adieu. I want to say thank you for listening. And as always, you can reach me at my handle, Justin Yance at Yahoo. Wait, no, that's no, that's not it. Well, you could reach me there, Justin Yance. Anything at Justin Yance, you'll find me at. So, I want to say thank you, and watch The Mandalorian. <laughs> I had to tag this on at the end of this episode. This will be out on Friday, and I will see you next time on the D M F.